Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and click the links to all of our social media uh, outlets, I guess you want to call it, in the description of all these episodes. Please head over to the YouTube page particularly and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You don't want to miss any of the episodes of Inside the Thunder or any of the special episodes that we put up. Like we just had the one with uh, Ryan Crisp from uh, the uh, athletic department talking about the Fans First initiative, and we're going to touch a little bit on that this week, but that was a really cool informative uh, video that you would otherwise miss if you're not checking stuff out on the YouTube channel. Russ, the breakdown series continues this week after a one-week hiatus to recap Sunbelt Media Days. We're going to be talking about the defensive line, and boy, oh boy, I know a lot of folks are excited about this 2023 herd defensive line. You and I are in that crowd, so we've got all the deets on all the movers and shakers in that position group and all the movement that went along with it. Uh, of course, we're going to take you around the herd, and we're going to give you five things. But before we get into it, let's get ourselves a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Our roads are full of uninsured drivers. When they hurt you, your insurance company can become their insurance company. Insurance companies take your money every month but they fight you when it's their turn to pay. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from uninsured drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Russ, let's kick this cat off. We've got uh, a lot of information to talk about. There's been a lot of news since we last recorded an episode just in the world of college football. So we won't dive deep into that, but we will touch on it. So... Let's start it off. Give me five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. All right, five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, Macy Majoy is the SBC representative for NCAA Woman of the Year. Yeah, that's pretty neat, man. I I can't recall a uh, Herd athlete right off the top of my head being nominated or getting the conference nod for something like this. It may have happened in the past, but... This seems like one of those things just when you thought Macy had received the, you know, one of the final few accolades she could receive. Here comes this nomination from the Sun Belt for Woman of the Year. And man, that's pretty freaking sweet, man. I didn't really see that on the radar at all, but what a cool honor for her and for the herd. To go along with that, I got to say this. I know you saw it, but <laughs> I think it was Paul Swan was talking about it and he took a, a the the picture he put on the tweet was like of her car with the pole vault yeah uh poles like yeah. taped or you know hooked to the side of her vehicle and I just thought that's the that's West Virginia in a nutshell man yeah. I, I think I mentioned it that might as well be siding or PVC pipe or anything like that because that's just just a normal day in almost in, heaven <laughs> in my in my travels around uh the territory for my work that probably would have been maybe top 10 things that i would have saw that i would have <laughs> went well huh you know <laughs> now nah, just oh you got some poles out there yeah 
figures. It makes sense. I mean, why not? Everybody else does. You're going you're going to put uh, oh, you're putting a flagpole up at the house, I guess. So you had to get it home from Lowe's some way. So you might as well just tie I it was looking your car. I was looking for the red ribbon on the back, you know. It's kind of got to got to do that. But a great honor nonetheless for her, man. I wish her uh all the luck in 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 getting this cuz how cool personally would that be, you know, cuz you're just thinking, man, I mean, if it were me, I'm just thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just an athlete. I just, you know, like, I'm sure she does a lot more that we don't even know about, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, it's really cool to see nominations like that come to light. That's so cool for her. Number two, Logan Osborne is named to the Warfel um, trophy watch list. Yeah, this is a cool one, too, because this is not just about what you do on the field. You've. Yeah. You've usually got to be a high performer anyway to kind of separate yourself a little bit. But the Warfel Trophy is also somebody that is uh, equally, if not more so, involved in their community. And, you know, that's just something we're going to rally around. And does it surprise you one bit that it's a local kid that's right. getting this nod? It's just kind of ingrained in who you are if you're raised around here, you know, that – I'm not saying anything against anybody that's not from here, but that's just kind of part of the fabric of who you are, you know, as a West Virginian and as somebody from Cabell County, Putnam County, you know, Kanawha County, Wayne County, that kind of area. That's just something that, that you're just kind of born into and you hold that near and dear. So that doesn't surprise me one bit that, that Logan Osborne is the guy for the herd to get that nomination. That's really, really, uh, really drives some points home about what we're all about here. Yeah, and those first two things uh, on the list this week, both of them just, I, I mean, your accolades that you do on the on the diamond, on the court, on the gridiron, on the track, all that stuff is something. But I think that these two things resonate a lot more to being so just all-encompassing of being a student athlete and an individual that, I, I'm sure they are very proud of this, and I couldn't be more proud of them representing the herd. Yeah, this is uh, this is all of the parts mm -hmm. of being a student athlete that aren't necessarily the athlete part, you know, because mm -hmm. it's it's the person under the helmet or the person you know underneath the jersey. Who is that person, and what what's important to them? And these folks are proving that it's more than just the fields of competition for them. And and I'll never get tired of hearing about that stuff. Number three, Owen Porter and Micah Abraham named to the Nagurski Trophy watch list. Gotta love that. <laughs> Gotta love top defensive player in the in the country. Even just making a uh, watch list from our level, you know, you know, as a G five player, which again is a term that I hate, mm -hmm. is is that's about as good as it's going to get. You know, you could win these awards, but think about it, man. It took a guy like Randy Moss to win a Bolitnikoff award. And that's mm -hmm. a generational once in a lifetime talent. Yeah. Now he could have been a multi-year Bolitnikoff award winner. If he was, you know, if his initial plans to be at like Notre Dame or even the backup plan to be at Florida state had panned out he, and he played there for two years or three years, he could have potentially been a multi-year uh Bolitnikoff Award winner. And that's not to say that if Marshall wasn't Division I-A at the time, FBS in 96, he wouldn't have won a multi-year award winner also. I'm just saying it's mm -hmm. incredibly hard from, you know, a mid-major conference to actually win these awards. So just to be nominated A is just great. And then once they start trimming those watch lists down, if you're a semi-finalist, fi finalist, I mean, you got to think, man, this guy's just – 
give them an award because mm-hmm. you know you're they're always going to throw up the roadblocks at every turn for guys that come from schools like Marshall. But you know, if you can play, you can play, and the NFL knows that. So it's a great honor for these guys. But I really just hate that everything gets hoarded by these you know big conferences like you know even they got great players, but we got great players too. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I'd like to go back. I have not, and maybe I would you know be sadly mistaken but i'd like to go back and see the last time that someone from a non p5 which you know i absolutely hate that as much or more than you and that might be going away very soon but um that a winner of the nagurski or one of these awards came from a smaller school that is not in these conferences that just get ridiculous money and can do whatever they want with recruiting well, I can remember one that's not that long ago because uh, I just can't think of his name. I'm trying to look it up really quick, but we played them in the bowl game that same year, and it was uh, – what was his name, man? Dang. I thought it was. Maybe not. I thought it was the kid from Colorado State that won won the Bolitnikoff, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe he didn't win it. Never mind. But no, it, I'm looking on the Bolitnikoff list right now, and everybody's a you know major, high major type school. The last person to win it from a mid major was the year after Moss won it in '98. Troy Edwards won it from Louisiana Tech. So that's just one award, and you're talking about two mid major guys that won it '97 and '98, and that was before this whole P5 G5 moniker. So. I was thinking that the kid from Colorado State won it, and and then we played them in the bowl game. I guess he was just a finalist. I know he finished up there, but Nagurski Award. I've got it up uh, in the history since '93, the first year that they had it. Yeah, uh, 2020, which that was a weird year with COVID. A lot of teams sitting out, but Tulsa had a linebacker, Zaven Collins. That's the yeah. only only time anybody from a different conference than those big ones that get all the pub. Yeah, Uh-oh. that guy was a beast, too. I remember him being at Tulsa. He deserved that award, man, for sure. But you're right. It's an uphill battle, and, and you know, you don't want to give in and be like, well, we'll just create our own major awards, right? Because then you're just saying, well, we quit, and that's not fair, you know. Right. So, uh, But still, we all know that the odds are stacked against our guys, and to land two of those guys on a, on a watch list, that's big-time stuff. You know, it, it is, and – Owen Porter specifically, you would have to think has a re- if he goes out and has a better season like he's talked about wanting to have. I mean, I he told me my goal this year among many goals, but his one of his personal goals, not a team goal, is he wants to break the single season sacks record at Marshall, and he thinks he could have done it last year had he capitalized on the sacks that he missed. You know, he he said conservatively, I missed twelve last year, could have been maybe fifteen. And he's thinking, you know, I, I can get there this year. I can do that. So that's a lofty goal, man. It really is. And- you know, because there's a lot of people that have come through these walls that have got some crazy numbers there yeah. on, on defense. So you think about if Owen sets a single-season sack record at Marshall, you're going to be pushing somewhere between, like, 15 to 20. That's that's where it's going to end up falling, right? And if you have that, you just can't turn an eye to, blind eye to that and go, well, that didn't matter. It matters, man. That just matters. So anyway, it's great for those dudes. I mean, honestly, it means nothing in the grand scheme to them of what they are trying to do because you don't win games on watch lists. 
it's just a, everybody likes a little recognition for the game you have, and it's just a little bit for those guys. So I'm happy for them. Uh, single season sacks is 1987. Cecil Fletcher was 17. Wow. So you got to get 17 and a half, which again, that's a lot. And that's right in the middle of your 15 to 20. Yeah. Uh, but think of the year Jonathan Goddard had in 04. He mm-hmm. had 16 and he played out of his mind that entire season. Yeah. And seemingly he missed like 20 others that he was like right there. Yeah. Um, but BJ Cohen in 95 uh, also had 16. And then BJ Cohen in 97 had 13. And coming in fourth on this top five, Tony Boland, 14, also in 87. So in 87, we Jeez. had 17 <laughs> and 14. <laughs> 31 sacks sack. between two guys. Holy yeah. crap. What was in the water in Huntington in 87? Gee, many Christmas. That's a nice little stat, to, a little feather to put in your cap. 31 sacks between two guys in 1987. No wonder yeah. they were so damn dominant that year. I know, I know what I'm going to talk to Steve Cotton about the next time I see him. I'm going to wow. ask him. Yeah. Damn. All right. Uh, so moving on, let's talk number four here about fan, fans first games and the overall fans first initiative. We had Ryan Crisp on. But for those who did not watch that special edition of the Thundercast or haven't watched it yet, um, we can talk about it right here. So no more exhibition games. The word exhibition for any exhibition home games, those are no no longer going to be exhibition games. They're going to be fans first games. KD, what does that mean? Yeah, it means A, free admission. It means that there's going to be some sort of giveaway or special that is going to be at that game that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. And there's going to be, he mentioned like at the volleyball fans first game that they're going to have music playing throughout the entire um, duration of the match because that's something that they can't otherwise do during an NCAA sanctioned event. So they're going to make the, the environment more fun. It's just going to be more lively. They want it to be uh, particularly about the fans. That's why it's called Fans First. So they want to get you there having a great time and, of course, in hopes that you'll just come back and support the team for the regular season and the postseason. But these are great ideas. I love the fact that the word exhibition as it relates to home games has just been eliminated from the uh, dictionary for Marshall. It is now Fans First. And that's what it's all about. We've recognized uh, as an administration that uh, in order to compete in in the ways we want to compete, you're going to have to build fans. And Ryan Chris put it perfectly. He said, we're tired of chasing customers. We don't want to chase customers. We want to build the experience that makes them want to show up and want to be there. And if you focus on the fan, that's what's going to happen, man. There, you, if you put your focus on them, then – they will show up and, and support you. This is a great initiative. The very first event that they had was just on Saturday, and I went to it, and I took my oldest daughter. The two younger kids decided that it was too hot and didn't want to go at the last minute, so my wife stayed home with them. I took my daughter. She had an amazing time. Mm-hmm. The athletes that were there could not have been more uh, friendly, not just with the kids, especially the kids, but, I mean, with everyone. They thanked everyone for coming. Thank you for coming here. Here's guys on the football squad that had been out practicing in the heat. It was hot as hell earlier in the day. They'd been out practicing the whole time, and then they have to go out there and for an hour and a half 
you know, sign autographs, just continual people coming and signing autographs till the very end. They were thanking everyone for coming out. They mm-hmm. were, Hey, thanks. You know, we hope to do something great for you guys this year. And it wasn't just football. Cross country was doing that. Volleyball was doing that. Both soccer squads were doing that. Um, they had a bingo card for the kids. If you went to every station, you got it stamped. And then at the end, you got a sticker packet of all things Marshall. Just cool all the way around. The guys and girls in our administration in the athletic department worked their tails off as well. They were going around talking to every fan. Um, Grant Trailer came over and uh, kneeled down and talked to Caitlin, who was resting, you know, sitting uh, on on the turf. And, you know, his main thing was, are you having a good time? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, yeah, and that's all it's about. You know, he could have came over and talked to me about, you know, sports, or he could have said, am I having a good time? He came over and talked to her. Sydney Shelton did the same thing, came over and engaged her. It was all about the fans for this event, and it could not have been better, in my opinion. Yeah, it looked like a good turnout, right? That there, I saw pictures that folks were posting mm-hmm. from the event, and a little after, you know, when they just had time to sit down and you know go through their camera roll and put stuff up. But the 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 shots were great because it looked like it was really spread out. You had really a, a nice opportunity to you know, not just be bunched up and it being hot anyway, you had room to run and play and have a good time. And that's what it's all about. So if you, if you didn't catch that episode, uh, that special presentation on the Thundercast YouTube channel, it's going to stay up. Mm -hmm. So fans first day at the Joan didn't just come and go. And now fans first is over. You can go back and watch that episode and get the gist of what all's going on now and moving forward because this is not something that's here and gone. This is the new focus for the athletic department, and there is a lot to uh, take in from that video. This was the fall event, and it covered those fall sports. It's going to be different for winter. They're going to have all those winter sports, and then they're going to have the spring sports. Every everything will be kind of similar to what they did here with this fans' first event. It'll just be in a different uh, avenue. You have to imagine that the CAM and and or uh, Gullickson will be uh, – Somehow, I imagine it'll be in the cam, but for those winter sports, they'll group them in there and spring, maybe with uh, the baseball softball complex. You know, we talked about that on the episode, but you'll be able to see all of those sports and go engage with the teams. And like you mentioned on that show, putting a face to the name. Sometimes you you have seen these people out in town, but you don't really recognize who you're seeing until they're gone because you've seen them with a helmet on. You know, that's that's about all you've seen. So it's just really nice, great event. A lot of thought went into it. Home run from my perspective. It looked like it was a really great time, like I said. Now, one other thing I've got to mention is that, you know, the focus obviously is on fans as a whole. But in particular, like you kept saying, it was about the, the younger generate the kids, right? And yep. to that point, Marshall has rebranded and relaunched the Thundering Herd Kids Club. Mm-hmm. And you can go to herdzone.com. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a link to it in the description, and it'll be down there and moving forward on all of our episodes. I would suggest that if you really want to help build the fandom for another generation in your house, if you're a Herd fan, mom, dad, and you want the kids to really you know, take hold of the team that you also love, sign them up for the, the Thundering Herd Kids Club and you know get that fandom built at an early age that all the benefits and things that they're going to get 
from joining the kids club are listed on the page. So I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to us again, you can just click the description and there's going to be a link right there. So you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to sign them up for the uh, kids club. You can do it right there from our landing pages. We want, we want everybody. We, we all know that, that we need to get younger as a fan base. One of the things that Ryan Chris mentioned that was looking at the data that they have and that we are 8%, I think it was 8% older in certain metrics of the older fans and then like 12% off the mark for younger fans, that younger demographic. And that's a huge gap that we have to make up, right? So mm-hmm. we need to engage our students more. That's why the Stampede was created, rebranded and relaunched. And now the Thundering Herds Kid, Kids Club, they're trying to build fans younger so that they're more passionate and, and you know, ready to be huge herd fans when it's their time to be donors and season ticket holders and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a great idea and it's a great initiative. And it doesn't take much for us as parents to get involved with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to sign Cooper up for the Thundering Herds Kids Club. I might as well. You know, we yeah. missed the boat for Kyler because, hell, he's 20. <laughs> but he was at games anyway when he was yeah. younger and, and all the time at tailgates and hanging out and basketball and stuff like that. So, we won't miss the boat for Cooper, even though I'm almost 900 miles away. We're going to do our part to get Cooper to fall in love with the herd, too. Yeah, that was my second half that I was going to talk about this uh, thing was the Thundering uh, Herds Kids Club because it is about fans first. Yeah. Real quick, it's $30 per child under the age of 12. Here's what they get. A welcome package with a T-shirt. Most of the times, if you go out and buy a T-shirt, you're looking at 20 to 25 bucks for that anyway, maybe even more. Uh, a credential and a lanyard, a birthday card from Marco during their birthday month, a monthly newsletter with activities for kids club members to complete, and a special invitation to select games, one per ticketed sport, where they get a behind the scenes at the game day process. So a ticket and a t-shirt is going to cost you more than 30 bucks for them anyway, and this is multiple tickets that you would be getting, uh, one to each ticketed sport. So very, very cool. Uh, If you're already getting your kids to be herd fans and bringing them up the right way, this is just a little bit of a money saver and something that they're going to like to do throughout the year anyway. Yeah, it is. And let's, let me, let me talk about this. So you might go, well, we're already seasoned football ticket holders. It doesn't matter if I get that ticket. That's not just for football. So if you want to go to a basketball game or a women's basketball game or a baseball game or anything like that, that's going to cost you more unless you're season ticket holders to all those sports, which would be cool if you are. But if you're just going to catch a game or two, then you're already saving money. You're going to save money anyway. So you just might as well do it, right? You might as well do it. And it's not just a ticket to sit in the stands. It's it's an invitation to do other things at that ticketed event. You know, like it says, behind the game day experience, they're probably Mm -hmm. going to get to go down on the field or on the court uh do something at halftime it's going to be really cool just getting the fans involved and the kids involved you know what it's like taking a small kid to this most of the time they want to go to the concession stand or they want to get something like that because that's what they think is cool but they see other kids out there doing something hey can i do that as well you go to a basketball game and they have the uh d team or whatever out at halftime playing uh all the kids are like, can I go down there? Mine do anyway. Yeah. So this is a way to get them involved. Very, very cool. Imagine your little leaguer getting to go into the Marshall dugout and just sit and look out onto the field from that perspective. I mean, that's not something that we get to do. 
you know, like all the time. So maybe ever. So to be able to share that, something like that, if your kid's just big time into baseball, what a cool idea to get them yeah. just to let them, you know, or, or if they love basketball, maybe they get to go shoot around during a game at halftime or something like that. Who knows? But point being, this is a great way to, to share your passion with the herd, with your young ones and help build the fan base for another generation, which is what we all need. Yeah. And Caitlin, my oldest is aging out because she turns 12 next month, but my two little ones, I'm signing them up uh, probably today. I don't know. My wife may have already done it, but uh, we are, uh, we're getting the two little ones there. And I, I know that when those packets come in with activities to do, I mean, they love that stuff. What so, you mean like getting not, not just what's inside, but actually getting a piece of mail with their name on it delivered to the house. That, but you know, that's always it, cool, man. But it has a coloring sheet for Marco and yeah, things yeah. like that. I mean, it's just, they eat that stuff up. So I can't wait. Uh, number five, this is something every herd fan needs to know, but it's not actually from the athletic department. It's from the Thundercast. Last year we had Thundercast live and it was every home tailgate. Uh, probably we get over there at least four hours before kickoff, but the show, it just depends on a variety of things, how many guests we have, weather, that sort of thing. Uh, but we have Thundercast Live coming back this year. All six home games will be over in the C lot, most likely the very corner of 4th Avenue, which is the alley behind the scoreboard, and 21st Street, right across from McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And we're set up there uh, hours before kickoff. We have a really cool tailgate. We'll be going live. We'll have some guests uh, throughout the year from the athletic department or alumni from the athletic department. And we will have a very good time. We want everybody to come over and say hi. Yep. But go ahead. No, I was going to say, also making a return. I didn't know where you were going with that, but also making a return will be the post-game Twitter spaces, like our version of a call-in show for fans. Mm -hmm. I actually got – we got approached about that, saying, hey, is this all coming back? And I'm like, yeah, of course it is, because it was really fun last year, and we want to expand on it. So I'm going to let you get back to the pre-game stuff, but I didn't want to forget that while it was in my head, because, you know, I do forget a lot quite a bit. But post-game spaces is definitely making a return, so – Get primed and ready for that somewhere right around, you know, 15 to 30 minutes after kickoff so folks have a chance to get to their cars and start the trip back home. You can uh, – we'll have the call-in show or the, you know, the live spaces so you can get on and talk about the game and what just happened. It's going to be great. So back to the tailgates. Yeah, so with these tailgates, you know, we want to have a lot of killer food, plenty of food, plenty of drink. And to do that, we bring on sponsors for these Thundercast Live broadcasts that we do and we do a live interview with those individuals not just about their business but also about martial athletics and the game that day uh, those individuals and take those uh, videos that we shoot it'll be on youtube up forever but we carve that out to where you know the start and end of that interview is a video by itself they can have that put it on their website use it on social media do whatever they want to with it it's theirs so kind of like shooting a commercial for their business and talking about themselves and, and herd sports. Anyone that has looked at these before have seen what we did at the green and white game and what we did last year at our Thundercast live episodes. Uh, we'll also be doing social media shout outs for that business. And we'll be uh, uh, 
uh, talking about them leading up on the podcast that week when mm-hmm. we're doing previewing the game. We'll be talking about what we're having at the tailgate and who's going to be the sponsor. So a lot of opportunity to kind of hyper-focus on tri-state area herd fans for your small business, your large business, your medium business, whatever. So anyone that's interested, DM us on Twitter, message us on Facebook, send an email to our email address. However, get a hold of us. Let's talk. Yep, that's right. It's uh, thundercast.pod at gmail.com, by the way. And uh, there are some discussions going on now, so don't think that we have absolutely no sponsors ready to roll. Uh, There are some uh, agreements and, and some conversations already being had for some of those marquee games. So if you're still on the fence and you're thinking, yeah, I think I'd like to get in on that home opener, that might not be there for you because yeah. uh, these these few there are a few dates already looking at probably about half the season already, if not a little more, that Russ and I just haven't talked about yet that are um, almost off the table. And I know some for sure are basically off the table. So get if you're thinking about it, stop thinking, start acting. Uh, because we're running out of games already. Yeah. And that does it for our five things every Herd fan needs to know. As always, brought to you by one of our many sponsors that we currently have, Yep, IgniteLink. IgniteLink, they are um, so freaking awesome, man. And, and Jed and the whole crew at IgniteLink are about to get a whole lot busier with the Thundercast because once football season rolls around, you got to remember, Jed powers the thing. Like he shows up and he's doing the production. He's the guy in the truck, <laughs> which, yeah. which is always a, a cool way to describe Jed. We really love him and we love IgniteLink for the partnership that they've forged with us and how they've helped us grow and and allowed us to do some of the things that we've been able to do. And they're just going to buckle down and, and get a lot busier here in about a month or so. But I know they're up for it. And I know Jed and those guys and gals love uh, what we do. And we certainly love what they do. So we can't thank them enough. Russ, let's go ahead and go around the herd before we get into this defensive line breakdown. Yep. Let's start off with uh, cheering. Courtney Sandifer is named the head cheer coach. I saw that. And I knew that last name was – familiar to me and i thought i wonder and then sure enough she's the wife of pitching marshall baseball pitching coach um i can't i've lost his first name but coach sandifer and 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 i thought i wonder if that was a coincidence but no it is not it she's uh she comes or i guess where was she at uh western carolina is that where i think that's where he came from western carolina i think that's where we got him from but anyway congratulations to her that it's it's uh just one of many new hires under the Christian Spears administration. So, man, what's left? I mean, it looks like we should be right about rounded out here, but a new addition to the Herd family, one that was already here, just not in a coaching capacity. So um, excited to see what the competitive cheer squad does this year. We've, we've uh, made some noise in that arena in years past and, and a little bit recently. So we'll see if we can crank it up a notch now that we're Rocking and rolling in the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah. Over in men's soccer, we have uh, Kyle Sniatecki is back as an assistant coach. Uh, he was here for two years, and he has been gone for one year. Uh, his first year just happened to be when we won the national championship. So uh, a lot of success under him. Good to have him back. And he is always a figurehead here locally in uh, in youth soccer. Yeah. So it's uh, – First of all, you bring somebody back that knows what it is and knows that we win here and was a instrumental part of winning that national championship here. 
And now you bring back a guy that was instrumental in building this dynasty that I'm calling it. And he gets to come back and try to get us over the hump, you know, along with all the guys that we brought in as players and new coaches. You know, we're trying to get back to that national championship game. That's what it's all about at Marshall, right? It, it's not it's not winning record. It's not, uh, you know, want to win just the conference and we're happy. No, no, no. We've got national championship vision and national championship goals. And anything short of that, which really feels good to say, is kind of a letdown because that's how your goals are set out. You want to win it all, right? We talk about that in a lot of sports, but in soccer, we know that it's really an arm's grasp away. So many other things have to go right for other sports to you even be in a position to have an opportunity to play for a national championship. In men's soccer, we know we're one of the nation's best. So bolstering a coaching staff that was already great with someone that was here before that helped lead us to a national championship, buddy, I don't know if it gets much better than that. And what does Grassy say? What What's the team motto? All or nothing. All or nothing, right? And we live that. This, this yeah. team lives that. This program lives that. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that they're not trying to also win the Sunbelt Conference. They're not also trying to dismantle a really great Kentucky team, right? They want to do those things on a microcosmic level, but it's all or nothing. You're right. It, it's championship or bust, and I love that mentality. Also in men's soccer, uh, they have their first. Now, we have to still call it an exhibition because it's not a home game, but they're right. going to be at Michigan for an exhibition game on August the 13th at 11 a.m. Yeah. So that'll hopefully be on ESPN+. Plus. I haven't seen it that it's confirmed to be on there, but as it gets a little closer, obviously, we'll be reminding everyone on social media to tune in if it is. So you know what it means with these fans' first games that are coming and we're seeing away exhibition games showing up on the schedule. It means it's about time to start giving away some tickets, Russ, because that means regular season is right around the corner. And I don't know, for all of you newcomers that have found the Thundercast since the end of athletic competitions last year up until now, I'm not sure you're aware that for every ticketed sport at Marshall, the Thundercast has season tickets and we give away our tickets to every home game and match on the schedule for every sport so it's really easy to win those all you got to do is be paying attention to either the facebook post or maybe this year we'll work in instagram a little bit and or the twitter post and you just either got a like or retweet or whatever and if we choose you i guess we got to get this out now because we ran into this several times last year remember we would choose a winner and it would be three four five hours and we would never hear from anybody and it would get really close to kickoff time so here's how it's going to work. We're going to choose a winner, and we're going to DM you. We're going to, you know, Russell will try to get a hold of you on Facebook or IG, however you win that week's drawing. And you're going to have about 20 minutes to respond to us and say, yes, I can go to the game, or no, I can't. And if you don't respond with a confirm that, yes, we're just going to have to choose another winner because for us, our tickets have to go to use. We, yeah. want, we want herd fans in the seats. We want you to win them, but if you can't, get back to us in a timely fashion. We want to get them to people who will go to the game and will be in those seats and will be there to cheer on the herd. All yeah. we ask in return is that you take a photo of yourself, a selfie at the game in our seats and post it and tag us on social media so people can see that folks actually win our tickets and actually go to these games. That's it. It's that easy. Yeah, and we will let you know when we are going to be doing these drawings for these ticket giveaways so you can kind of pay attention if you're – 
somebody that's not going to have Twitter or Facebook up because of work and you would rather send and uh, after you've done the requirement that we do and say, hey, during that time of the drawing, it would be best if I got a text, you know, sure. I'm fine with that. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll just text you and say, hey, you want. But you also have it's not going to be game day. You know, right. it'll be like at least the day before or two days before. In the case of football, you're looking at a Saturday kickoff. We're probably going to run a ticket giveaway on like Monday or Tuesday. So you'll yeah. know well in advance if you can make it or not. So anyway. Now, every, every now and then we'll have a, you know, well, have, to, have to do it the day yeah. of or the day before or something. But we just like you said, we want to make sure that fans get to use these tickets. So that's what it's all about. All right, the cross-country fall schedule is out. There's not uh, a lot of meets or events uh, for that. Uh, September the 15th, though, is the Herd Invitational right here in Huntington. So I think, what was it, four and then the Yeah, it's only like four or, five inv- inv- four or five events and then the SBC Championships and then the yeah. NCAA. So remember, this is just the fall schedule. There'll be a spring schedule too, but how cool is it? A, just to get a home event back on the schedule for mm-hmm. us to showcase cross country in the mountain state in the fall. How, how like serene and scenic potentially could that run be that event be? That's pretty neat. Uh, women's soccer. They had an exhibition match again. It was away at Western Carolina. So it was an exhibition, not fans first. There is never uh, scores from these, uh, as we have been told. We famously kept trying to get that information in the spring, and they they just don't. <laughs> they don't even really keep score, I guess. Uh, they do have a fans' first game coming up, and that is Wednesday right here at uh, the Vet, August the 9th at 6 p.m. So free soccer. Take your kids. Go watch the uh heard soccer program play Cincinnati and then they are at Kentucky on August the 12th at 7 30 p.m. again an away exhibition yeah now no mention of what the giveaway or the special or whatever the item or whatever they're doing that's going to be exclusive to that fans first game yet but you can count on it via the words of Ryan Crisp that there will be something there that's only available at that fans first game and nowhere else so if you're uh, looking for something to do in Huntington on a Wednesday, hey, nothing beats a fan's first game at the vet. Over in baseball, Blair Everhart joins the staff as an assistant coach. Yeah, didn't he work up, up in Akron with yep. uh, Donnelly, and now we're basically stealing the entire Akron coaching staff. And like you said, I believe on an earlier episode, I don't know much about Akron baseball, but I don't really care <laughs> or something to that degree. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel for them. I do. Uh, they're in a bad situation as we had covered before. They don't have scholarships. Yeah. It's all kind of self-funded, but I mean, we took their head coach and then they got a new head coach and then we took him and then we took his assistant. So, yeah. but he was with Beals up at Ohio state for yeah. a number of years too. So the continuity is there. It's not just like we're targeting Akron to take their coaches. Yeah. You know, Donnelly was here forever and he's a Marshall staple and he belongs here. He belongs in Huntington, mm-hmm. but you know, this is Beal coach Beals going out and getting his guys and, right. and reuniting his successful coaching staff at Ohio state and tried to make something special at Marshall. And this is just the next piece of that puzzle. Right. So you gotta love it. And also on that episode, remember what uh, Ryan said about the baseball 
uh, field, possibly turf going down next month and yeah. they'll already be out. It's getting close, guys. It's getting close. Yeah, more than once he said it's about 80% done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you got to think that after the playing surface goes down, that's the meat and potatoes, right? Because then you can utilize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else is just aesthetics, you know, yeah. because functionally you'll have a field that you can use. Everything else is just the design phase and, and uh, or not the design phase, the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The finishing touches, you know, making it pretty. Well, but, we along, call it- but along with that, hold on, but along with that, herd bricks. So herdbricks.com, you can still get your bricks for the facade. We know this is going to go on for a while, but it does it does us good to keep mentioning that to people time and time again because, you know, I forget about it. I still haven't gotten my brick, but it's on the radar. So I'm sure a lot of folks are in that same wheelhouse, so we're just going to keep talking about it. Just bring it up, herdbricks.com. You can still get your bricks for the facade. If we're 20% away, some of that 20% is the bricks, man. Yeah, it is. And uh, we're going to see, you know, all the seats go down. That'll be kind of last. We'll see, you know, all the signage and stuff go up. That'll be last. But they need to get the playing surface ready so they can start utilizing it, like you said. Yeah. Uh, Still on target and maybe even ahead of target. And and I'll, I'll probably know a little bit more over the next couple of days and everything. Just not sure what I can share, but. Uh, also we have, uh, football camp is underway, um, that started Wednesday of last week. So they've got close to a weekend already and, uh, it's here. It just, it, you know, we're we're under four weeks away from that first game. Everything just feels real now. You know, we, we had the fans first day and, uh, talking tailgating plans and all that it, <laughs> it's here man is it's it here. starting to get a little too real for you at this point it's here yeah it is getting it is here it's cool hey you know what and we've talked about this so much about uh the i just got to circle back to baseball real quick we've talked about so much about this video board that we are so famously watching get assembled at the joan um and I know some of you folks are like, hey, football season's less than a month away. What the heck's going on with this? It's close. It's like really close. So it'll be up and fully operational and functional before the first game. Don't be worrying. But what I wanted to say before you jump in and talk about that is don't forget we're also getting new boards at our diamonds too. So this, yeah. this is not just football only. We're getting some new boards at our, at our diamonds. We talked about that last and soccer. year. And soccer. That's right. And soccer. So it's going to be a very, very – enhanced experience for you not only at the joan but also at the vet and the dot and the jack i have the exact date that the video board will be completed and uh i'm not trying to be one of those i told i can't tell you guys but uh it will be in in plenty of time before and we should have some video and photos official from the athletic department the day that it gets done, but it's close. It is oh, real I would, close. I would hope so. I would think that they have something in their hip pocket about, you know, I could foresee a, a video that's unleashed on the herd fandom yeah. or the herd universe with some of the new aspects and some of the new graphics and how it's going to look. I mean, this is going to be a big deal because a lot of folks have been anxiously awaiting that for a number of years. And now that we've just been constantly talking about it for a year, and then when you see the big hole in the end zone for a while, and now things getting pieced in, this is going to be an unveiling 
you can't just take a photo and put it up there. This is going to be a video unveiling, no doubt, in my mind. Yeah, and uh, it's it's close. It's yeah. real close. All right, so uh, that does it for Around the Herd, but we've got a little thing called Around the Sun Belt that I think that we should talk about because we've had some things. Do you have something else for Around the Herd before Two that? things, two things okay. real quick. Uh, baseball commit over the week or this since the last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, A.J. McCannich, McCannich comes to the herd as a 2024 uh, pitcher, and we picked up a football commit as well in the class of 2024, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Malik Caswell, uh, free safety, comes to the herd from, I think, Georgia, Stockbridge, Georgia. So both uh, both recruiting classes are continuing to grow, and actually Greg Beals tweeted that the other day, a very cryptic, I think McCannich was one of the two, or maybe more, but he tweeted, they are coming to the herd. Usually he tweets he is coming to the herd just no info just that same tweet and a buffalo running this time he tweeted they are coming to the herd with the gif posted twice of the buffalo running so i've only been able to find one i think mccannich is one of those guys i haven't figured out who the other one is yet but the baseball recruiting class continues to grow as does the 2024 football recruiting class now sbc time yeah so uh we had a lot of stuff in uh college football uh, dominoes are starting to fall again so it's going to affect us in the sbc sunbelt so we need to talk about that a little bit yeah. pack 12 looks like uh well the, they're now the pack four right yeah it ain't even on life support to me at this point i don't know what's going to happen i if i had if you you know held me against the wall and said make a prognostication it seems to me that like Oregon State and Washington State will try to end up somewhere like a Mountain West type deal. I don't know. And maybe Cal and Stanford choose to go independent because they just have the ability to do that. I don't know. But with the pressure that's coming from Apple, you know, Apple was big in on that Pac-12 media deal that got turned down. They may keep all four of those teams together to keep the Pac name and then just bring in the best that they can find from the Mountain West to create a conference and just maintain that Pac-12 name or Pac-10 or whatever they want to go to. But you're right, man. Massive dominoes. How many in your life? Up, oh, hell, not even up maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, two years ago, would you have thought we would have seen the death of the Pac-whatever conference, one of the most championship-laden conferences ever a hundred years of tra of tradition gone in an Sto afternoon storied history with the rose bowl and all that yeah. and this this was you know one of the things that was holding all this up was the rose bowl did not want to until it was contractually finished um or up for renewal get in on the cfp they wanted to keep it that tradition big 10 versus the pack 10 and now big 10 versus pack 12 but uh, they now were kind of, they had no, no choice. They got in on it and, uh, people just started, uh, leaping. And I have heard that there is, there was a meeting, uh, today on Monday that, uh, they are, those pack four teams are meeting with the Mount West. There's 12 teams there. They're talking about some sort of merger, either all or partial. And then they were going to talk 
tomorrow or maybe even later today about Apple, uh, a TV deal and random teams from like the AAC conference or something. So, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, no matter what, the dominoes, the way they fall is going to affect some of these teams if they leave conferences they're in right now to go to the Pac-12 or whatever it's going to be called, that could be ripe that the Sun Belt brings somebody in. Well, yeah, you've got to speculate that, right? Because you can't just go, no, no, we're happy. And I think there's far too many Sun Belt fans that go, oh, no, 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 we're, we're far too happy. Man, you can't say that at this stage. We are in a great spot, and you can choose to – you can you have the luxury now to be choosy, right? Mm-hmm. You, if there are a lot of teams out there and you just want to bring in two, then you can be choosy about who you want to bring in. But I don't think that uh, you can just turn a blind eye and go, we're not doing anything. Because yeah. all these teams want to pretend like they're a unified front, right? But you can't tell me if, if things just starts to go haywire and the ACC begins to collapse and is in, is in a same situation that the PAC, the West Coast Conference, the Pac-4 right now, is in, and the ACC starts to rebuild with – you know, whoever they can get, the best teams from the East Coast, and some of those are Sunbelt teams, this buddy-buddy stuff that you're hearing right now, that's going to dissolve in an instant when they think, well, we can go to the ACC, we're going. Because you would honestly be a fool to not do that, right? You, you, There is nothing wrong, and I'm really happy at the Sunbelt East Division. I love this division, and I think it's great. And I'm not saying that we should leave it. I'm just saying, like, if an opportunity exists for you to align yourself with even if you want to call them leftovers, that's not a great term, but teams like Wake Forest and NC State and Duke, for crying out loud, Pittsburgh, you're going to do that, right? Because inevitably your revenue share is going to go up versus what you're going to make in the Sun Belt. It just is. It's still very regionally friendly, and I think that would drive a lot of excitement for your fans. So it's just way too early to say we're not doing anything. Because we might not have a say in it, right? Yeah, I th- I think that that is more of a I don't want to say pipe dream, but something. Of course, it's that, a pipe dream. I'm just well, saying no, that that's no, no. I don't speculative. I don't I don't mean about us joining the ACC. I mean about the ACC uh, dissolving because it is not set up the same way as the Pac-12 situation where they Pac-12 had a TV deal that was expiring and they had to renegotiate and some of the teams were holding out to the very last minute and then said, Hey, I'm sorry, I got a better deal over here. We're just going to go. And then boom, 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 boom. A lot of things fell. The ACC with their grant of rights, the conference as a whole has the media. It's not the individual teams. The individual teams get their pay out of that. But because it goes through 2036, they have so high of a payout to be able to break that grant of rights that, I mean, it's like $300 million or something like that. So we're in a drastically different space to where I think that what we're looking at right now is whatever happens with the PAC and the uh, Mount West Conference and any AAC teams that have been wanting to go into the pack conference where these other teams are leaving and creating a void looking at teams like uh, SMU yeah uh, Memphis you know some of these teams whatever that conference looks like we're looking at the AAC is now going to be what do we do now 
Yeah. It's already conference USA uh, previous, you know, and that is going to mean that it's going to trigger to where the ESPN says, Hey, we're renegotiating as the clause in the contract States. And now they're going to be making less money. So whatever's left of that conference, it might be that the Sunbelt gets to expand choosing carefully someone that fits fits the mold of what we're looking for yeah yeah let, let me let me circle back around right i'm not saying that these acc is going to collapse but we've just seen a hundred year old conference vanish in a right. in a weekend right. so obviously nothing is out of the realm of possibility now is what you're talking about far more likely yeah of course it is but i don't see I see more of a scenario. If you're going to go build, rebuild a conference of 16 or 12 or whatever in the Pac-12, you're not going to take the entire Mountain West. You're, you're not going to do that. You're going to take the the four from the Pack. You're going to take the next four or six from the Mountain West that compete the way you want them to compete. And then you're probably going to come after that SMU type thing and and those teams that are the topper top-ish tier of the American. That's probably what you're going to do. So it's going to be really, really interesting. It's really going to be um, something to watch happen. All these schools, number one, we all, all of us, American teams, Sunbelt, Conference USA, MAC, Mountain West, thinking that there is a legitimate pecking order of these conferences is nearly laughable because we're all the same school. We're all at the same level. You know, if you get, if you end up in this conference versus that conference, it can help you a little bit, but ideally, man, you're not going from going from the American to the Sunbelt is not going from the American to the big 10. It's, it's not. So what you should be concerned with is what the Sunbelt got right. Regional rivalries, smaller footprint, fan-friendly atmosphere, that's what you should be targeting, right? And if and if that fits you in the American, stay in the American with like-minded schools that can provide that for their team or their fans too. If it fits you better to be do that in the Sun Belt, you better do that in the Sun Belt because ultimately that's going to lead to success for you. The problem lies in, like I said before, we can be picky. You know, we can be picky. Is anybody going to leave what we have in the Sun Belt to go to the American? I don't know. I, I don't think Marshall would, I don't think. If they do, I think that they're just totally, you know, fans are speculating things like that because they're assuming that that media deal is yeah, going the to money's the not going to stay the same. It's, it's not, not going to stay the same. And it's already being split 14 ways now instead of 11. So that individual team payout is drastically different. There's also rumors and possibly even confirmation somewhere that I don't have that says – uh, those six Conference USA teams that came in are going to have a lesser share than the... Yeah, of course, just uh, like we have. Yeah, than the just eight like teams that... But um, the renegotiation clause, I mean, you can't say that they're going to say ESPN. That's cool. It's cool. Yeah, all, all these big-time teams left, we'll just mm -hmm. keep it the same way. I just cannot see any way that that happens. They're going to renegotiate and I think that it'll be a lot closer money-wise that the Sunbelt currently has, and the Sunbelt then is in a much better situation than them for growing as yeah. far as uh, their media deals. Yeah, we, we could go on on this topic for another hour. Yeah, sure. I, love to, I love talking about realignment and scenarios and what would be cool and everything. And uh, But uh, honestly, 
it's best for us just to sit back and watch more moves get made right now because we don't know what's going to happen. There are still other things that need to iron out. So it's, I would it's, say the next two weeks uh, you're going to see something happen with the Pac-12, maybe even yeah, this week. I would say it's before that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, whatever happens with that is going to dictate what happens more and more. But uh, anyway, like you said, no need to just keep talking because we could talk forever and a lot of it's speculation until we know what happens these next few days. Yeah. I, let me, let me close out on this before we go to the position breakdown. Uh, ultimately I, I, I feel right now, my gut tells me that there's going to be roughly like a bottom fourth or third of the mountain West that's looking for a home. And then there's going to be, you know, a bottom two thirds or three fourths ish of the American that is remaining in the old American and at that point, what do you do? What do you do? You know, do you start looking at regionality like you should be doing? Or are you going to try to continue to say, oh, no, 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 we're superior to you because we are in the American and you are not. That that I don't think is a long term recipe for success. You know, at this level, the money's just not nobody's. It's just not the same. So it's going to all be renegotiated. So, you know, the, the smart money is on patience right now and, and just seeing what you can ultimately come out with but i think the sunbelt of all is in the best spot you know to build and strengthen and also remain relatively small you don't need to go farther into texas and the west part of texas and you can build what you need right there in tennessee north carolina alabama right already in the foothold it may already be there for us to you know strengthen all right russ um excellent speculation maybe we ought to work on something with some of our conference mates and try to get a round table going on or something like that because man that could be a fun discussion anyway the breakdown C uh, series has returned this week and we're talking about the defensive line russ real quick before i get into all this movement defensive line position group where does that rank for you uh top you know one two three four five six positions that you're excited about this season Probably top two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't definitely top three, uh, but it, it is up there and it's uh, due to uh, some returning players that we'll be talking about, but just the absolute depth and size and production that we expect. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an exciting unit, man, to talk about and to watch play because they wrecked shop last year. I mean, they absolutely wrecked shop game in and game out last year and a lot of that returns we did lose some but we'll talk about all that defensive line breakdown coached by herd all-time great ralph street third season with the herd uh, let me ask you this man how can we get ralph street on the ballot for the herd hall of fame because you know i know largely this is a uh athletic achievement accolade but there are coaches that are in the the marshall athletics hall of fame too and ralph street now checks both of those boxes he hasn't been a head coach at marshall but damn if he isn't killing it at the defensive line coaching uh position break breakdown decent defensive line position coach uh position yeah his position but he was great as a player i think it's time who we need to talk to ralph street on the ballot can we make that happen uh, feel still ranking for the herd defensive line unit. Russ, you ready for this? I number, am number 25 in the country. How about that? But here's where it gets re really weird. Tied for second in the Sunbelt Conference, along with Troy. 
Phil Steele lists South Alabama as the number one defensive line unit in the SBC on the first page of the SBC section of teams in the back towards the back of the book. Get this though. At the beginning, where he has all the national rankings by position group, where Marshall is listed 25th, his number one South Alabama team is actually ranked nationally second. <laughs> so Troy takes the top spot, number 20, South Alabama, number 24, Marshall, 25, uh, James Madison, 26, and Southern Miss, 33. There is some legitimate defensive line units in the Sunbelt Conference. Looks like through the East, though, it's going to run between Huntington and Harrisonburg. Um, Owen Porter is your preseason all Sunbelt Conference first-team performer by Phil Steele and listed as the number 45 draft-eligible defensive end. I think Owen's getting a little slighted there, in my opinion. Uh, I think the production will outweigh that. Some people may um, – have better insight, and some folks might tell me that I'm absolutely insane, but I get a very T.J. Watt vibe from Owen Porter at times, and I, th I think that that's kind of what he may kind of potentially look like at the next level, and, and I know a lot of folks are Pittsburgh Steelers fans and are absolutely enamored with T.J. Watt in this uh, Huntington Tri-State area, so you guys can let me know if I'm way off base or if I'm uh, kind of on the right track with that assumption, but that's just kind of how he strikes me. Let's talk about the 2022 breakdown real quick. 38 sacks from this unit. We just talked about two guys that had 31, 31. in 1987. Uh, just 93 rush yards per game from this defense, which was 2.9 yards per carry, good enough for fifth in the NCAA last year. And best stat, did not allow a rushing touchdown to a running back until the 10th game of the season if that doesn't spell stifling i don't know what else does that is an amazing stat that i did not know until preparing for this episode currently on the 2023 roster russ there are a ton of defensive linemen of course this is the tackles and defensive ends together 18 currently listed on the 2023 updated herd zone roster now let's talk about the guys that exhausted eligibility and there were some good ones there were some really good ones Starting off the list, you can't you you can't talk about this defensive line without talking about Kobe Cumberlander last year, number seven on the herd in tackles, a very high motor, emotional guy that was just an absolute dog on the defensive line for a number of years. He exhausts eligibility along with uh, one-year herd player Anthony Watts, who was number nine in the on the herd or uh, defense with in tackles last year. Damian Barber, number seventeen. He had that pick six in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, if you'll remember. And Isaias Carpenter, who ranked number 21 on the herd in tackles last year. So the herd loses four of its top 20 tacklers from the defensive line alone. Also, not really exhausting eligibility, but didn't fall into the portal. Jordan Calamese, he retired from football, if you'll remember. Uh, portal out, not very many guys. Gabe Elrod was a redshirt junior in 2022. He's out and commits to Limestone, which may be familiar to some Herd fans. Former Herd wide receivers coach Mike Fury is still the head coach at Limestone. Um, also, portal out, Emmanuel Bush was a junior in 2022, was number 20 uh, on the Herd in tackles last year. He transferred to James Madison, so he's bolstering their defensive line. And then Emmanuel Balagoon, a junior also in 2022, transferred to Charlotte, was number 21 
in the herd. Well, tied, I guess, with 21 with Isaiah Carpenter in tackles. So a fair amount of production from the defensive line was lost. You're talking about six guys all ranking in the top 21 on the team in tackles. But I think it's okay. Let's talk about this massive. Well, I mean, before we do portal in, let's talk about that. How about the guys exhausted eligibility and the guys that, that uh, left in the portal for you? I think uh, it starts, obviously, with Cumberlander. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, if there was a way that he could come back, I think Phil Steele's uh, rankings would be drastically different. You know, uh, just looking at replacing what he brought, you know, a lot of people would say, well, they might have a, a down year until you start looking at what's coming in. Yeah. Uh, and what's returning and what's coming in looks amazing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we lost some big guys. We lost some productive guys. But I am also excited that, well, let's just talk about it. <laughs> let's Go talk ahead. about it. Yeah. Well, before I get into that, I want to talk about Cumberlander just for a second because yeah. you're right. He was a great player for a number of years for the herd. A lot of folks are going to think back to that. Uh, um, New Orleans Bowl when we played Louisiana and Willie Johnson got cheap shot and it looked yeah. like, um, you know, Kobe Cumberlander was ready to go onto the field and rip human beings' heads off because of yeah. that cheap shot. And you can't blame him for that. And when I did the interview for the Thunder Trust with, with uh, Owen Porter, he talked about, you know, Kobe leaving, you know, exhausting eligibility. That was Owen's roommate last year. And he talked about the, uh, the uh his game day and how they did the same thing and you know he and kobe had like a routine that they did not deviate from and now this year you know that's something different for owen he's going to have a new roommate he's going to have a new experience there for this last go round but he he kind of jokingly said i'm going to need him to come back to every game and just sit behind me and bark at me and yell at me and hype me up for the whole game because that's what he was so great at alongside his play, you know, was just being that really vocal leader on this herd defense. And that's not something that's often easily replaced, right? Those guys are really special pieces to a football team. So production aside, this is a huge piece that's now missing from this defensive line unit is that vocal leadership. I'm sure guys have stepped up, right? Undoubtedly. But uh, you've got to mention that stuff when you talk about guys like Kobe Cumberlander. But you're right. The guys that we've got coming in position this unit to be as productive, if not maybe a little bit more productive in certain areas than we were last year. So let's talk about them. Very, very active in the uh, portal in category. I got seven, seven defensive tackles and defensive ends that come in. Let's start with six foot six, 290 pound uh, Chris. Thomas, freshman, comes in from the University of Florida. He was a three-star prospect coming out of high school, number 57 defensive line prospect nationally when he was uh, coming out of high school. Uh, twenty In 21, he played one game and redshirted. In 22, he had one game as well, and then hits the portal, comes to Huntington. Six foot six, 290, dang. I think you're going to really love that, and, and that's really a kind of a theme that we've got going here, so pay attention when, when we talk about some of these uh, measurables actually all of these measurables six foot two 317 pound jaleel riviera harvey a junior comes over from arizona state uh nine games in 2022 with two tackles he was a junior college guy from east la college before going to arizona state when he was coming out through that process he was listed as the number four juco defensive line prospect uh, prior to com- committing to arizona state 
Uh, six foot four, 241 pound Michael Green, red shirt freshman from the University of Virginia. Uh, six games in 2021, four tackles. Didn't really, ha- I guess he redshirted in 2022 because there was no real information on him out there. Uh, here's a cool thing, cool little blip, but I know you'll appreciate from his high school days, though. Uh, second in the state of Virginia as a wrestler, state runner up in, in his sophomore year, third in uh, his junior year. And I'm speculating because it doesn't say as a senior, either he didn't wrestle or that was the COVID year and the season got canceled. Mm-hmm. So this guy is an amazing athlete. And as a matter of fact, some video has been posted of Mike Green in the weight room. Yeah. If you guys didn't see that, holy crap, this guy yeah. looks like a beast. And that was on his birthday uh, that that got posted, uh, that that video was taken and posted. And then I also want to say on signing day, I joked and said that I was going to take his uh, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich from him. And he <laughs> let me know that that would be very bad for me. So <laughs> I believed him. Uh, yeah, I think that he's uh, an amazing specimen seeing him in person. Yeah, this is a guy that, uh, again, with that interview that I did for the Thunder Trust that you guys can listen to if you're an 1837 NIL Honors Club donor. You can go right now to the Thunder Trust website, log in, and listen to that interview. But these next two guys, Mike Green and the next guy I'm going to talk about, were two guys that Porter talked about specifically is how they could be instant impact players and their physical stature was just a little mind-boggling. And when a guy like Owen Porter says that, who knows a thing or two about defensive line play, you should listen and you should pay attention because he's not blowing smoke, right? These guys are in the weight room together. They're seeing it firsthand. Nobody is really seeing it closer than their, you know, their teammates and their coaches. So along that note, next coming to the herd, six foot three, three hundred and six pound Kylan McCracken, a grad transfer. He's going to be a one-year guy, comes over from Ohio University. So he's going to be on the other side of the battle for the bell. Too bad those guys aren't on the schedule this year because that would be for uh, make for a nice matchup. Nine games in 2022 for the Bobcats, but 25 games over the course of his career in Ohio. 31 tackles in his career with one sack. Owen really was raving about this guy, like really raving and talking about how strong that he was and and how he's going to be an instant uh, attribute to this uh, uh, defensive line room. Next is six foot five, two hundred and fifty seven pound Jabari Ishmael, redshirt sophomore from Miami, Florida, Miami University, University of Miami, whichever it is in Florida, not Miami, the U. Uh, one game in 2021, red-shirted in 2022. We talked about him during a signing day recap or a, whatever it was we did, some sort of recruiting recap. He was a four-star pros- prospect when he came out, number 197 in the ESPN top 300 nationally of all prospects. He was rated the number 20 defensive end coming out and the number 31 player in the state of Florida, and that, guys, is huge praise. Uh, he's the son of Miami strength and conditioning coach Victor Ishmael. Next, six foot four, two hundred and seventy-one pound Joshua Valdez Alaniz, a junior from Modesto Junior College, eight games in uh, 2022, notching 17 tackles and two sacks. Brandon McElroy, a freshman, another transfer from Arizona State, six foot five, three oh one, Russ. Also comes from the JUCO ranks into Arizona State and now to the herd. Didn't begin playing football. Get this, man. Did not begin playing football until joining 
the Glendale Community College football team. Then, in his very first ever season of competitive football, he notched 21 tackles in 2021, get, landing him on the All-Metro League team. This guy is as raw as they come, and if you're a, a piece of putty that Ralph Street can mold, man, oh, man. If you are naturally gifted in the art of playing defensive line, you best believe that Ralph Street is going to get the absolute best out of you and mold you into the beast that you can truly become. Last thing we got to talk about before I let you recap some of that or give some thoughts on some of that, a couple of incoming freshmen in the class that made it to the roster, six foot three, 291 pound Benny Tashida from Louisville. He was a three-star prospect. He was really, really early commit in the 23 class, if you remember for the herd. Uh, he has huge, huge upside and a guy that I know that everybody is really excited about. A guy I was really excited about that. I thought he was a, a real steal of the class coming out of the state of Kentucky for the herd. And then lastly, six foot two, 399 pound McKaylin Warren from Tyrone, Georgia. Two-star two prospect for the herd. Comes to the comes to Marshall with a teammate. Of course, we talked about during the linebacker episode, Matthias Haygood. Russ, that is all the freaking movement on this defensive line unit. How about what we brought in and some and uh, through the portal and these freshmen? Wow. So seeing them in person after seeing the roster, but on fans' first day, seeing them stand next to me, I'm. I'm no longer a huge, huge guy. I'm 6'3", around 200, but I used to be a little bit bigger than that. And these guys are dwarfing me, and I was never as big as these guys. Uh, I never could in my life get to be as big as these guys. I'm not that athletically blessed. But also seeing them, how athletic they were because they were messing around uh, um, kicking uh, soccer uh, toward a goal and having someone goaltend and D-line was a big part of that and seeing how athletic some of these guys were at the size that they're at. Quarterbacks, good luck. <laughs> I, can't I don't know get what past, you, man. I just can't get past wow, you know, because it's – first of all, we try to keep pretty good close tabs on the roster movement. Yeah. Still, I didn't realize that we brought in seven from the portal. I knew the defensive line class, like the the freshman class, was relatively small. I really only off the top of my head thought it was Tashida. But I found out that it was actually a couple of guys, mm -hmm. uh, three really, but only two appear on the roster right now. So that's all we're really going to talk about. Uh, I think the, I think there's a third one on well, there. Th uh, that, well, there's more that were walk-ons, but this walk is just scholarship yeah. guys, yeah. right? This is just the scholarship. There, there are yeah. a couple more guys that are on the roster, yes. Yeah. But from the recruiting class to show up on the roster, only two of those made it. But and just, a lot of the guys we brought in are young. They're not coming here for one year. I know we've got the grad uh, transfer uh, yeah. that's coming here. McCracken should be the only one-year guy. Yeah, right. everybody else, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, there's a junior every now and then, but you're looking at redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores. They've got some time to play, and they are big to be that young in the in the weight room and that young in their eligibility. And I just, if these guys stay here and all of them, I mean, look at what we're going to do in a few years. Yeah. The, and the thing you really have got to appreciate that we bring up often that really rears its head here when it's not that true freshman is those kids that have already been through the strength program for a year. Their bodies have already changed, 
right? Yeah. Like we've heard talk, Huff talk about that before. There, so these guys put in the rough work of change of doing a wholesale change of their body, getting their body the right way at places like Ohio U, at Arizona State, right, at Miami, and now they're going to come in here transformed or already have been transformed to in you know more of a um, Division One football body and ready to compete here. So being that you've got two-year guys, three-year guys, maybe even some four-year guys here, if you're right. If they stay, holy moly, man, the, the dynasty that's being built across the offensive line is pretty scary. Defensive line. That's what I, Is that what I said? You that's said offensive line? Defensive yeah. line, you know what I mean. You remember what Huff said about Mike Green as well, that uh, the Virginia coaches said that uh, he was the best athlete that they had on the team and maybe the best player or whatever. Uh, you know, obviously potential. It wasn't like, you know, because of his uh, stats or whatever that he had. But And he said, I hope he can do that here. Yeah. I mean, well, I just, mean, stats don't tell the story, right? right. What, he's don't. buried on the depth chart. Yeah. But that doesn't at, mean you're not the best athlete on the team. That's right. And look at McCracken. You know, I, I can't tell you what that – if Owen Porter's saying that that guy, as strong as he is and as big as he is, is going to make an instant impact, I don't care what he did at Ohio. It's Ohio. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't care what they did. Maybe they didn't utilize him as well. Maybe they didn't say, hey, we need you to go uh, – get in the backfield. Maybe they just said, we just going to plug you up uh, as a nose tackle and make you be a run stopper. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't care about the stats, but even less on defensive line, it's not about the recordable stats. It's not about how many tackles you have. It's controlling that line of scrimmage. And these guys seem like they're going to do it as well or better than we did last year, which was amazingly well top 10. In the, yeah. in the country. That's right. And a couple of points I want to talk about, right? You say, well, th- some of these guys, they have like literally no stats at their other stops. Well, look at guys that had, that we just got last right. year. Anthony Watts didn't have a huge stat line coming out of Purdue, but he came in here and he was a mega impactful player. Mm-hmm. And Damian Barber was the same way. Super impactful player. Gibby, yeah. who's still on the roster. We haven't right. even talked about because he was a returning player. Gibby was a massively impactful player for the herd, but these guys didn't have stat lines at their previous stops that made you go, wow, instant impact guy. But were all three of those instant impact players? Yes, they were. Yes, they were. We we were, I mean, if we go back and listen to that episode from last year about how much we were praising, talking about the violent and disruptive that coach had nicknamed him, talking about the sheer size that we're bringing in. And we had just talked and, um, you know, under our previous defensive scheme under uh, Doc and, and the defenses that he had, they kind of took that linebacker, the outside linebacker, and dropped him down to defensive end to be faster, smaller and faster. Then that defensive end went on the interior, smaller and faster. The safeties became those outside linebackers, smaller and faster. Huff came in and said, size, there's a certain archetype that we're looking for on these different positions. And and here's where it is. I have not seen a roster with this much size. I mean, you look at some of the big P5 that we don't like to name. This mm-hmm. looks like a P5 defensive line roster. I mean, it's just, it's insane the depth and the size and the talent that we have amassed at this position. Well, in fairness, if these are the monikers that you want to use, I know that's not what you particularly want to use, but right. University of Florida, Arizona right. State, Arizona State, Virginia, Miami, 
Miami, right? So it is a power five defensive line, and it's not even taking into account the guys that are already here and already productive. Owen Porter is our guy. He's our yeah. guy. He ain't coming from nowhere else. Gibby yeah. was from Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. So there, these guys, while previous administration said, let's get smaller and faster, Huff said, well, let's just get bigger and faster. Why yeah. do we have to get smaller? We yeah. can move just as much and just take up more space. And that is a that is a differentiator on on our football team, potentially like any unlike any other position group, right? Because yeah. the defensive line wreaks more havoc than just about anything. They, disruptive is the best word to describe them. It's going to be hard to run against us. And you know, again, I'm I'm looking that we might do better in the tackles for loss and sacks than we did last year. Well, God, it's. Okay, so you do get past the defensive line. Well, there's Eli Neal waiting to knock you yeah. flat on your ass. So what are, what are we doing here, right? Yeah. So th this is this is setting up on paper, right? Because we haven't played games, right? Mm -hmm. But so it, it it gets the juices flowing when you start looking at how things might get laid out on paper. So into that, let's talk about some projected starters, right? Really, this is pretty fluid on some of these because depends on what you want to do that week. But the, Owen Porter is. 1,000% bona fide, legitimately 100%, a million percent, the only guy that I know will be starting every play of every game so long as he possibly can, right? And and you have a good, we have a good idea of who you think others will be, but it's so fluid. They're so deep. So we're going to go with four as quote-unquote projected starters, and then we're going to get into those heavy contributors again. So, of course, give me six foot three, 235-pound defensive end, Owen freaking Porter. The outlaw, the senior, the number four tackler for the herd last year from a defensive end position, number one on the defensive line, first team all Sun Belt Conference in 2022, played 13 games. Stat line's pretty damn great. 60 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, which was number one on the team, nine and a half sacks, which was number one on the team, one interception, two pass breakups, nine quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, and a fumble return that resulted in a touchdown. And he, by his own account, says he missed anywhere between 12 to 15 more sacks that he should have had and could have had. And if that doesn't get you flowing with the right juices, bro, you don't care about herd football. That is amazing. Along the interior defensive line, let's give the nod to six foot two, 300 pound defensive lineman Taquez Legs, the red shirt junior. 24 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, but a sh injury shortened season. Remember, he missed the first six games of the year last year. Didn't start, I think, until James Madison, maybe. So, uh, limited season, but still pretty good production. If you extrapolate that out over the course of a season, you're looking at 50 tackles ish from a defensive line position. And a guy we're going to move right into six foot four, 312 pound Isaiah Gibson. The redshirt junior, who was a super impactful player for the herd last year, 11 tackles, four quarterback hurries in 2022, uh, through 13 games, but he did start six times. So uh, it, it's so much not about the stat line. You got to I write it down because that's what people want to hear. Mm -hmm. But if you're if you're a guy watching the film and you're paying attention to you know defensive line play, you're wondering. How are they manipulating the line of scrimmage? And that's what these guys do. Now, let's give the nod to the freak, the, the phenom potentially at the other defensive end spot, six foot four, 241 pound, Michael Green, the red shirt freshman transfer from UVA, the guy that's absolutely a freak of nature physically with all the raw talents that you want. A spring and a summer of Ralph Street 
game planning, being that he has the luxury, anybody has the luxury of lining up on the opposite edge of Owen Porter is going to have an easier path to success because of what uh, Owen Porter demands that you account for. But I like this move, man. I like, I like giving the nod to green. Now, could it just as easily be my defensive end to a Sam Burton? Absolutely. Because Sam six foot, 253 pounds, senior, the number 11 tackler on the herd, 35 tackles, seven tackles for loss, a half a sack, seven quarterback hurries, and a forced fumble in 12 games. Those guys, to me, it could go either way. But I like the idea of that athleticism that has been touted for Mike Green. Russ, before we get into anybody else, what do you think about these projected starters on my end? It's hard to argue for and against them because, like you said, we're so deep. And I think that uh, uh, starters might not be the people that get the majority of the snaps. It might be, you know, Later in the game, it goes to so somebody that wasn't the starter. Uh, I think that we easily have two, four deep that can go, and Porter would be out there the majority of the time unless there's some kind of injury or you just want to keep him off there because the game's out of reach. and that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, easily, I can see us. And how bad is that going to be for running backs that they've been getting beat up by these guys? And we say, ah, let's bring four fresh guys in that could easily be our starters. Well, who who did I hear talk about that? I can't remember if it was Owen or if it was somebody else. I don't think it was Huff. But they were talking about the ability to do like a hockey line change. Yeah. Just a, an all-new line goes in and four fresh guys working against tired offensive linemen on play seven or eight of a drive, yeah. you know, and a tired running back. Boy, what a luxury. But anyway, uh, I didn't want to cut you off there, but you were making that point, and I had heard yeah. that from someone. I just can't remember who it was. But what an unbelievable luxury to do that. I, I think we go eight, nine, potentially ten deep along the defensive line. But, phew, wow. Uh, we got to talk about some other – Heavy contributors I mentioned and slash potential starters, right? Because we don't know during the ebbs and flow of a game who's catching fire, who's in the zone, who's struggling against a certain block. We don't know, right? So all these guys can kind of fall in that same category. I mentioned Sam Burton. Uh, how about six foot two, two hundred fifty-six pound Elijah Austin, the red shirt junior? Twenty-two tackles, a half. Uh, I'm sorry, one and a half tackles for loss. And uh, two pass breakups, seven quarterback hurries, and a fumble recovery in 12 games for the herd. Also a very productive player for Marshall. Then we get into some of the younger guys and transfers, but I still think we see Kylan McCracken, the one-year guy, in a relatively uh, high rotational you know, role, if not starting a game here and there. Six foot three, 306. And then a guy that dazzled in the spring game, Russ. Got on the radar for a lot of herd fans. And I'm going to bring this name back to you because I know you remember. And that's six foot six, 228 pound Elijah Russell, the red shirt freshman. Red shirt freshman. He was kind of everywhere for a lot of people in that green and white game. So, how about those? You know, we talked about Burton, but how about Austin and, and McCracken and Russell for you? I do think McCracken, with his size and strength and uh, rubber stamp, uh, from uh, Owen Porter, I think he is going to do a lot of damage interior line. Um, Coach Huff mentioned Russell as one of his two 
on the defensive line that had really transformed their bodies. Mm -hmm. And his was putting on weight and muscle. Uh, he said, you know, he looked like a string bean when he first came here or something, you know, because he's extremely tall. So he was tall and lanky and everything doesn't mean that he wasn't athletically gifted. He just needed to have some more weight and he's put on weight and transformed himself in the weight room this off season. Uh, Gibson was the other, and it was talking about how, you know, he had lost so much weight over the course of the season because of just what he was doing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, those guys, I mean, again, plug those in. Uh, you need somebody that's uh, uh, six foot six, two twenty eight on the end coming around. Reminds right. me, of Paul, reminds me of Paul Toviesi. Uh, slightly different build or whatever, but he was that tall, lankier kind of build and everything. So, I don't know, man. I I could talk for an hour, like we were talking about the Sunbelt speculation. I could talk mm -hmm. for an hour about these guys and what they could potentially do, and I think the potential is unlimited. Yeah, Elijah Russell, for me particularly, is a guy that I really see playing that, uh, getting a lot of reps late in games when Marshall has a sizable lead. The game is definitely out of reach for an opponent, and you get to get this guy in to get game reps and and game speed action to hone his craft and that edge rushing uh technique of his that it'll pay big dividends for you potentially late in, late in the season or you know early next season I, I really like the aspect of of Russell and Mike Green I mean you guys you might be looking at the next two great edge rushing duo two three years from now right because they're both really young guys and they're both unbelievably athletic and their measurables are off the charts now, there's a lot of guys that are going to be looking to make their first impact for the herd this year, and most of those are these transfers that were younger guys, so we're not going to get into all their stats again, but I'm just going to remind you where they came from. Uh, of course, it's six foot six, 290-pound Chris Thomas from the University of Florida. Six and he's actually listed as 308 now. Oh, okay. That's, that's when he transferred in, so he's put on 18 pounds since Eight, he got here. 18, six foot six, three bills plus. Yeah. Might see him more often than not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, six foot two, three hundred seventeen pound Jalil Riviera Henry from Arizona, or Harvey from Arizona State, and then Brandon McElroy, six five three zero one, also from Arizona State. Uh, six five two fifty seven Jabari Ishmael from Miami, Florida. Six foot four two seventy one Joshua Valdez Alanis from Modesto, JC, and then some guys that were uh, a guy that was on the roster last year. Actually had a little bit of production for the herd. That's six foot three, two hundred ninety-seven pound Jabarik Hopkins, redshirt freshman. He appeared in three games for the herd in twenty twenty-two. He had one tackle. That tackle was a tackle for loss, and that tackle for loss was a sack. So he made the most of his limited opportunities there. And then uh, you've got some relative newcomers, and then guys that are really, really looking to kind of get that first real meaningful action. Of course, we talked about Benny Tashida, six foot three, two ninety-one. McCalum Warren, six foot two, three ninety-nine. And then a guy that was on the roster last year, six foot three, two hundred and fourteen pound Joe Murray from Huntington High School. And then a guy that I didn't know until I was checking out the roster. I got a, I'm I'm intrigued by this for a couple of reasons. Six foot six, two hundred and thirty-four pound Braden Ward. Okay. I don't know anything about this guy, but According to the Herd Zone roster, he's from Montgomery, West Virginia, which is up in my neck of the woods. That's eight miles from my hometown. He went to Riverside High School, which is what my high school turned into. It's where my cousins went to high school. So I'm really familiar with that area. 
but I did not hear about Braden Ward, right? Mm-hmm. Come to find out he was a three-sport all-state athlete in the state of West Virginia, football, basketball, and track. So I don't know what this all means, but I will tell you this. I have a guy that I'm going to be paying particular attention to as a true freshman coming from my neck of the woods in the state of West Virginia. Uh, Mr. Ward, if you're listening, you got a fan here, and I'm 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 really excited to watch the trajectory of your career because not too many come from that Riverside High School here. I think the last one we had might have been Raheem Waiters several years ago. So uh, I like it, man. Somebody from my neck of the woods getting a shot here with the herd. I'm I'm all in for that. So Russ, what about the, all these other guys on this roster just to fill it out? I. <laughs> I can't I'm, just even. Gonna, I, I'm just going to repeat myself you yeah. know about the depth and the size yeah. and i mean uh the the pure potential that w- these guys have with their size and their strength and seeing them in person to see that the this size does translate from paper to i'm still in awe of how big these guys are and and the shape that they're in um uh, again good luck running backs good, good luck. luck yeah good luck everybody yeah, you're all going to need it. And and this is not a slight to your players. I so, you so KD, to... you and I were talking, and this has been about a week ago, and we said, uh, you know, we probably ought to uh, bring it up on the show. They had uh, uh, Violent and Disruptive uh, was christened to them uh, by uh, Coach Huff last year. And when I was looking at this, and you and I were talking weeks ago before we were trying to do a breakdown on this, I said – Forget the 1927 Yankees and other teams. <laughs> I said, this is murderer's row yeah. right here. Yeah. You know, because the the term came up of who do you want to face, you know, if you walk this person or walk that. So what do you do here when you say, well, you know, we got this guy, he's he's tired and he's out. And then you bring in six foot two, 399 <laughs> pound, you know, whatever it is. This is a modern day murderer's row famous sports uh, term for teams over the years or position groups over the years. I think we've got it right here. Yeah, and if, if you're just like, I've never heard of that before, go Google the freaking Yankees. Was it 27 in that one? 1927 Yankees. Go Google yeah. the lineup for the 1927 yeah. New York Yankees right now and look and you'll understand like, geez, there's not a weak spot in that lineup. Yeah. Who do you want to face if you're a pitcher? This is that This is that recipe, but it's on a herd defensive line. Right? Who do you game plan against? Who Who's the weak link? Find it. I dare you to find it. I'm not sure that you can. And again, this is not an, a, a knock on anybody's players, any opponent's players. You have fine players, but we have really fine defensive linemen that are going to re- wreck some absolute shop this year, and there ain't a herd fan in the land that ain't here for it. Russ, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. What's your number one overall strength for this unit? Size. I would never have guessed. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we've already, we've ran over the roster and yeah. their height and weight. We don't need to, but just go look at the size. i tell you what I should have done was I should have went through and did an average height and weight of all 18 of these guys. And just for, for curiosity's sake, see what it was. I can do it for you right now. Tall, huge. <laughs> yeah. Strong. That's yeah. not a size, but that's a thing. <laughs> uh, my number one overall strength of this unit is Owen Porter returned. I mean, it, that we were all on pins and needles, and he was so lighthearted about it when we spoke. I mean, he was like, I didn't know I was supposed to put something out, you know, because I didn't say that I wasn't coming back. 
But you know how fans are. Right. It was like, oh God, he's getting you know courted by all these other schools. He's going to hit yeah. the portal. And you listen to the guy. Let me tell you what Owen Porter is is turning into a is a, a real time legend of herd football because he tells you, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be a marshal. I want to be in West Virginia. This is where I love being. Oh, you remember what the chatter was. He's going to Ohio State, and they're offering him whatever. And, you know, I mean, where do things like that materialize? And everybody says, well, my cousin's roommate's brother knows the uncle that he went to shop class with. You know, uh, doesn't matter, man. Listening to that guy, you you said it. He wants to be right here. He He said it. Yeah. He, he wants to be here, and he wants to be that legend here, I think. You know, he's a local kid. He's always going to have that aura about him as the guy that came here and didn't leave and wrecked shop while he That's was right. Here. That's right, and that's a dying thing, right? It's, it's a guy that was recruited here, stayed here, had opportunities to go elsewhere. There's a coaching change in the middle, you know. Right. I mean, there's, there's opportunities to, to change. And he didn't. He stayed here, and everyone loves him for it. He's ex- he's performed at an extremely high level. His growth and development year over year has just been – there's never been a plateau, and there's never been a dip. He's just gotten better and better and better and better. And th- let's not forget he lined up at freaking fullback last year mm-hmm. on many of an occasion, and that is just something that you can't help but smile and get excited about that when a guy who's a true throwback player – I told him, you look like you would have fit right in with the guys in the 90s because he wears the crop top shirt and the whole attitude and everything. And I think of all the things we talked about, that's what made him like the happiest because he said, you know, that's high praise around here. Knowing that you could line up with guys from the 90s, that means a lot because they they still know who those guys are and they still watch those films and they know who hold those records. And, you know, those some of those guys still come around to the program and, and share stories and talk, and and it means a lot to these guys. Don't think it doesn't. And he really lit up when I told him that, and I meant that. That wasn't me blowing smoke because he looks like he could have lined up in 1997, 1998, 99, and just played defensive end. Mm-hmm. He fits that mold. So number one overall strength, without a doubt, was that Owen Porter said, I'm coming back, even though he was never leaving. <laughs> uh, what's your number two strength for this unit? Depth, and again, we've talked about it so much, there's no need to talk about it again. But if you can do that hockey substitution like you were talking about, if you can run 8 to 12 deep and keep putting athlete after athlete and strong after strong in there to just dominate guys that are are tiring on that offensive line, our depth is amazing right now. Yeah, it certainly is, and that's the number two strength for me too. We did not – rebuild we absolutely reloaded we may have actually upgraded like i said in some uh statistics like maybe the pass rush is a little bit faster this year Mm -hmm. maybe the run stop ability is a little bit better this year we don't really know until we start to see it play on the field but man when you start looking at some of these things the overall depth just is undeniable it's undeniable this is the probably the most deep position that i can think of right now we feel really good about a lot of our positions, especially on the defensive backfield and things like that. But, man, it, it feels like you could lose two or three guys and not miss a beat at all with the overall depth. This is really something special that I think we're on to here. What's your number three strength for this unit, if you have one? Athleticism. We talk about size. We talk about athleticism. That's not always the same. But you got you called him a freak 
earlier, Mike mm -hmm. Green, and go look at that video on what he's doing at the size that he's at. Uh, look at the build on these guys, the height that they have, and they're still doing this athletic stuff. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'll, I'll throw his name out there because, um, you know, I don't have permission to, but on fans first day, uh, legs was, uh, playing soccer goalie against this thing that they had set up and everything. And the other guys were kicking and he's an amazing athlete. And I told him, I said, you were doing work out there, you know, and he was, and so then they go over and they start playing a, a pickup hoops game on a volleyball. You know, they had a, a ring set up with a net on it to where you could do a set to see if you could get it into the into the net. And they decide to play. And my man is out there throwing left hand over the shoulder alley-oops to somebody on the spot. <laughs> and then he's dunking on top of somebody on the next possession. He's an athlete. And we've got a lot of those up and down this uh, roster on the defensive line. Yeah. My number three overall strength, which I'm in full agreement with you, is the instant impact is abundant on this roster right now. Uh, not even taking into account the guys that are returning, the Porters, the Gibbies, the Legs, the, the Burtons, right? But the other guys, the instant impact guys, it is unbelievably abundant. The run stopping and the pass rush – at season's end, should should be, I won't say easily be, but should be the best in the Sunbelt Conference. No knock on Troy. No knock on James Madison. No knock on South Alabama. I'm just not sure they go as deep as we go, right? They might, but I, we don't follow them closely. It's hard for me to imagine that they go 10 deep like we do. Mm -hmm. Weaknesses, Russ. What's your number one weakness for this unit? Replacing uh, production from Kobe Cumberlander. Uh, it's we've got all the potential in the world to do so, but so far we haven't. And until mm -hmm. we do so, that's a weakness. Uh, it's one of those things we talk about all the time. It's a weakness just because we haven't seen it. So somebody's got to have that production, but somebody's also got to have that leadership. I think that Owen Porter's right there, but it's just a different type of leadership with him than it was with Cumberlander. You know, Cumberlander was vocal. Owen Porter himself said he's the guy that was doing it. Yep. So replacing him, I think, is going to be one of those unseen things to watch for is who's really going to step up in this position room to be the guy, not just from production, but uh, getting everyone else hyped and everyone else where they need to be. Yeah, that is legitimately my only weakness as well, is replacing the vocal leadership on the line. We all know that Owen Porter is the silent assassin. He mm -hmm. just prefers to go out there and handle his freaking business and not hoot and holler about it. Uh, he might talk a little crap to the guy he just smashed across the turf, but that's different, right? You need that Kobe Cumberlander type attitude to get the guys always going, staying engaged in the game, right? So who will be that guy? I, I couldn't tell you. Could be Burton, could be Legs, could be Gibby. Uh, but somebody's got to rise to that occasion and be that leader. But they also have to perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can be a rah-rah guy, but if you can't do the work, I'm not sure how much your message, you know, gets gets driven home. So that to me is really the only weakness, and I don't see that much of a weakness. You know, if you if if you just got a team full of silent guys that like to go out there and make waves, then who needs to hoot and holler? They're all just intrinsically motivated and internally motivated to go give them hell. So, um, who are you most excited to see 
for 2023 from this unit. Owen Porter's swan song to come back. Local kid. Uh, you know, we talked about this for other positions on getting to come back with Micah Abraham and things like that. But Porter being that local kid from here, yeah. uh, just what I said earlier about becoming a legend. I cannot wait to see the cap off to his career. Yeah, I hate to use words like that whenever we haven't even started the season. But it doesn't it, – it is what it is. You can't not say it just because you don't want to feel like you're jinxing something, right? And that's mm -hmm. not what I'm saying. But, like, the guy is – in the era of college football we have, the guy is rarefied now. Mm -hmm. He's going to play, what, five or six years here? And he's just been so productive. He's been an all-conference performer over and over. The greatest celebration in college football. We've gone an hour and 43 minutes into this episode, and we have not mentioned his celebration until now. So it just all adds up the throwback vibe that Marshall fans love. You, it doesn't get any better than Owen Porter in that final season for the Herd. And if he is able to go out and come close to tie or break that single-season sack record like he wants to do, that's it. He's a he's a no doubt first ballot Marshall Athletics Hall of Famer. He may already be anyway, ten yeah. years from now. You know, yeah. if he goes out and plays one game, doesn't matter. You know, I think he's he's made a case already. This is just that cream on the uh, on the Sunday. So I am absolutely excited to see the the sing the senior campaign of Owen Porter. Who's the biggest loss for you? Cumberlander, we already we already said why. Production yeah. and leadership. Yep, I'm with you. It's Kobe Cumberlander, too. I hope to see him back at every herd game this fall. And Rocking Kobe, that amazing hat and beard combo that he has. <laughs> I can't believe we've gone this long to talk without bringing that up as well. If you're listening, if you happen to catch this episode, Kobe, find us in the sea lot. Come and hang out. Let's talk herd ball. We'd love to get you on a Thundercast live and talk about what you're seeing from this herd defensive line as well as we head into the season. Who's your breakout player for 2023? Mike Green. Mike Green. I'm with you, man. I think, man, we're, we're you copied my paper today. Um, I, I can't get past, you know, what I've seen and, and not just Owen, but everybody else that's raved about Mike Green, coaches, right. other players, everything you see. It's just like this is this is the guy that could be the guy for the next mm -hmm. couple of years. Who's your MVP when it's all said and done? Owen Porter. If he does anywhere remotely close to what his goals are, personal goals he set for himself, ain't nobody touching him. If they do, oh, my God, they deserve it. <laughs> We've you got know? 1987 all <laughs> over again if that's what we have yeah. happen this year. Yeah. What an amazingly in-depth defensive line breakdown this week. What a great uh, position group to get the breakdown series kicked back off again. Russ, do you have any final words um, before I put you on the spot for one question? Uh, I've got I've got some things before we close out, but not about defensive okay. line. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot for one question. Right. Does Owen Porter win the SBC Defensive Player of the Year? Yes or no? Yes, and I, I think that people are going to realize that it's not just about some stats of assisted tackles and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not putting anything against Carlton Marshall, hell of a player. We have sung his praises all season long, as much as fans of an opposing team can. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Henderson over at ODU, amazing stats and everything. But, 
just absolute impact on a game is not always tackles and assisted tackles and things. Those are extremely important, but we're talking about taking over games and just dominating and just saying momentum is switched. And that is what Owen Porter did last year. And if he's going to do more of the same this year with the, uh, um, respect that he already has coming into it and already being on that short list i think he does yeah i I, it's hard to argue with that i've said many 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 times he should be on the short list the shortest of short lists for defensive player of the year candidates already and if he has anything like the season we saw a year ago he's going to make his case and you can't go wrong giving it to the guy um All right, so next week is the final position group in the breakdown series, and of course, it's quarterbacks. There's been a lot of debate amongst the fan base, and they all feel how they want to feel. We're going to give you all the stats on everybody that's on the roster next week and dive into that quarterback room. It's going to be a great one. You do not want to miss that. Russ, if you've got some final words, let's start to have them. Yeah, so a friend of the podcast, a friend of the Thundercast, Karen Legrand, we've mentioned her on here before, talked to me about a conversation that she had with a player, and I'm going to leave that player's name out of it because I didn't talk to them to get confirmation to bring it up. But Karen asked this uh, player of what they would like to see in the stands. If it would be uh, pom-poms, if it would be cowbells, uh, artificial noisemakers, can't have that. Uh, the answer was bring 10 of your friends. So people in the stands is the number one thing that these players want to see. It's not that you're bringing pom-poms. It's not that you're bringing any kind of uh, thunder sticks that we had in the past. It's not anything like that at all. It's not anything more than packing that damn stadium as much as you can. Be there, be loud, bring people with you. They are going to feed off that. They're telling you right now, this is what they're going to feed off of. This is what they want. This is what's going to take them to the next level in performing. And it's us fans. I am going to echo that, and I'm, I'm giving so much away from this interview that, you know, when I talked to Owen, but he said there's no better feeling than walking out of that tunnel and seeing a packed Jones C. Edwards Stadium. And when they're loud and they're engaged, those guys feed off of that. And if you think they don't, you're mistaken because I heard it firsthand from one of the most impactful players that we've had at Marshall, period, right? And he said when they're there late in the games, it matters. It matters. We want the place to stay full for all four quarters. And I'd like to remind you now that Marshall's not going to have a pass. There's a no pass out policy. So if you leave at halftime, you're not getting back in. That's that's next year. I've confirmed. Okay. Okay. This year you can still go out and come back in. Well, we don't want to do that anyway. So honor what these guys are asking. If you're going to the game, make plans to bring three, four friends with you. Right. Why not call three buddies up and say, hey, you guys want to get a family pack together and we'll get season yeah. tickets and we'll go for a hundred bucks and we'll, you know, make it your thing this fall, right? Get excited. Watch these guys and some of these seniors, Dalton Tucker and Abraham and and uh, and Porter and all these guys go out, you know, trying to bring a championship back to Huntington. Don't play wait and see. Yeah. Go go and see. Go watch it live and see. Tickets are on sale right now. You can get a mini plan if you can't be here for all six games. If you can't be here for all six games, still get the family plan with three of your friends like you're talking about or your family. 
$399 a piece gets you all six games. If you're listening right now and you say, man, I really hope to go to some games this year, and you definitely go to Virginia Tech, and you definitely go to Homecoming, and you pick one more, you're already at 99 bucks right there. Mm-hmm. So get them for all six games. If you can't be there, get somebody else to use your tickets. Yep. Right yeah. now, call up 1-800-THE-HERD. Get on Herd Zone. Get on the app. Call Ryan Crisp. Whatever it takes, get tickets. Be there. Be loud. The fans want it. The players want it. If you're on the fence, get it right now. It's going to do nothing but help the university. And I guarantee you, if they're doing all the stuff that they want for fan engagement and all the things that they want, we didn't even talk about the stuff that they're going to do during the game and how they're going to have the fans dictate as the season goes along what they want to change about the game day experience. Go to these games this year. If you haven't been in a long time or you do go, remember, it's a new look Jonesy Edwards Stadium. No more end zone bleachers drowning out the We Are Marshall chant. That's a minimized thing now. That's the lower bleachers only that's going to be there. So brand new video boards. You know, you're going to be able to look over and to the other side, the other sideline, and it's going to be fuller because people aren't going to be smattered around in the end zone. And you're going to get that We Are that Marshall that you remember so vividly from, you know, 20, 30 years ago that really made you feel good. And it was really an impactful thing at a herd football game. So we're going to be louder. The environment is going to be more fan friendly. There's going to be a little bit more room to spread out the, the, the uh, four top high top tables that they've added as a different viewing experience. Also, it's just a great time. It's just really a great time to uh, get yourself to Jonesy Edwards stadium. They're making tickets really easy and uh, to afford and really easy to obtain. So there's, there's really just no reason not to give it a go. And if and you've you been, it, if you've you been burned it. in the past, hold on. If you've been burned in the past, we talked about this before. It's a new day, guys. Give them a chance to do right by you because I bet you they will. And you brought up something about the, we are and Marshall and we, that was covered by Ryan Crisp in that episode too. Anytime the fans start, we are Marshall, start that chant. They said they're going to stop anything that they're doing and they're going to get the we are Marshall chant going as loud because that is our identity, that is who we are, and that takes precedent over anything. He brought up how often have we heard over the years, well, the band's trying to play while we're trying to do this and the PA's doing this, and then we are Marshall's trying to. He said no matter at what point they have marching orders everywhere that if we are Marshall is going that's the thing that's what they're doing so again it's going to be exciting it's going to be awesome it's going to be awesome all right do you have any other final words before we get out of here if not take us out no whether you see us at the joan whether you see us at the cam whether you see us at the vet coming up wednesday at 6 p.m for the very first fans first game with women's soccer no matter where you see us we're going to be saying go herd go herd it's the thundercast remember quarterback breakdown next week week after that it's the season preview it's the thundercast later <laughs>